you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by the Galaxy Brains Podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Friday and welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Assey. Zach Seward's doing a little sway there. Will's getting in on the action. Thanks for being with us before the weekend. Zach, you got the first story. First story. What's going on with Wobi? There's all sorts of Wobi drama going on. We got confirmed layoffs, significant layoffs, about 20%. We have all sorts of outflows. Just like there's tons of money going off Wobi right now. Justin Sun is involved. There's all sorts of drama. Let's talk about it. Will, is Wobi the next shoe to drop? It kind of seems like it at the moment. Expect mischief and intrigue where Justin Sun is involved. That is the storyline here, as it always should be. When he purchased Wobi, a lot of people thought he was going to make some changes. He made a lot of changes to Poloniex, another exchange he purchased quite a while back. Exchange is actually basically kind of fallen off the radar. Not a lot of people talk about it these days, though it was very important back in 2017, 2018. Huobi, hopefully, is not a rerun of what happened to Poloniex. Uh, right now, we are seeing a lot of outflows out of Huobi, about $100 million, according to data from Nansen, which is a blockchain observer. This follows, of course, after what happened with FTX, where a lot of funds left FTX as people got spooked about it. This also happened with Binance. A lot of funds left Binance after people got spooked about it. Those two stories ended in different ways, right? FTX ended up being in Chapter 11. They ended up being insolvent. Binance seems to be fine by all accounts, even though a lot of money left the exchange. Now for Wobi, this is actually a lot smaller, only $100 million compared to the billions that we saw both leave FTX and Binance. So a little bit smaller. I think there's less cause for confusion or concern here. I think the bigger news and why people are leaving exchange is because Justin Sun is flexing his muscle after taking over Huobi and he's making some changes. Notably, they have laid off about 20% of their staff, like you said, Zach, and they're also forcing some changes within the structure of the company, moving people out of their China headquarters to Singapore, forcing employees to take payment in crypto itself. I think a lot of people look at these changes and they say, maybe we're not going to get the best price execution. I'm going to move to a different exchange for the meantime. I don't think there's anything really wrong with Wobi at this point, but we'll see. You never know. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. 
Yeah, you mentioned that $100 million, $60 million left the exchange in the last day. So I think that this just, you know, is another sticking point that the industry is generally spooked. And maybe if you're spooked, don't keep your funds on a centralized exchange for now. I want to touch on those layoffs, Will, because, you know, we've been talking a lot about the layoffs that have been happening in the industry and the way that they're being handled. And as I read through some of these points, I was just kind of shocked to be reading them. So full-time employees are going to become new staff members and they're going to enter into a three-month probation. So they're not going to have the same benefits that they had as a full-time staff. They're going to get revoked layoff compensation and year-end bonus. And so that tells a little bit of an eerie story for me. I can only imagine that Huobi employees are feeling like, okay, I'm going into this three-month probationary period and this story is long from over. I think that we're probably going to see some cuts after the next three months. I don't imagine why they would do this otherwise. And so I can't imagine that the feeling is good at Huobi. And I think just like the other companies that we've talked about that have kind of mishandled their layoffs, we're going to see some employees come out and start talking to the media and exposing some things on Twitter. Zach? Yeah, I mean, the centralized exchange industry is really taking a beating these last few months. You know, you look at Kraken, which had major, major layoffs, and obviously Wobi here is not insulated from declining trade volumes and also sort of just a, a panic removal from exchanges writ large, right? I think the move to self-custody has been well chronicled. You know, you see Ledger selling, uh, you know, like, uh, like record-setting uh, storage devices as people look to move their funds off of exchanges and into their own possession. You know, we also saw that, you know, that comes with its own set of risks. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's any additional backlash from this in terms of people probably uh, potentially losing some of their funds, stashing it under the mattress, as it were, in the cold storage device, rather than having it on exchange. But yeah, Wobi, I think, has obviously been a big player in the Asian market for a long time, certainly has a presence in China, and it's going to be interesting to see if they bounce back and serve that market. The East Asia market has been a bit I guess like, yeah, I mean, potentially underserved actually really, even though there's a lot of trading activity over there still within the crypto world. So we'll be taking a big hit here. It would potentially be pretty impactful for that particular region within the crypto world. So that, uh, that's definitely something to watch here. And obviously we're seeing sort of spillover into other Justin Sun related things, right? Like whether it makes sense or not, you know, the Tron price is down on this news, allegedly. USDD, which is a Tron stablecoin, that's also kind of slipping off its peg a bit. So often as we see in this sector, it's largely defined by figureheads. Justin Sun is one of those figureheads. And some of the news that's relating to Wobi seems to be spilling over into the other parts of his crypto empire. Jen, I think I saw your hand. I'm going to toss it your way. Yeah, I have a question. I saw that employees are now going to have to take their salaries in a stable coin. Do we know what stable coin that is? I don't. Oh, I had it up on my, my screen head. a second ago. You're looking at it? I, I think it's USDC, USDD pairing. So it's like a, a stablecoin pairing, more or less, that would obviously benefit Justin Sun in this case. So great question there. I, I, the one thing I do want to bring up, though, is what Zach was talking about earlier. Let's just riff on it for another second before we move to the next story. And that is how important these exchanges are in the greater landscape, especially in East Asia, where there is a significant amount of trade volume. So I think a lot of people think of the US, think of Western Europe, they think about exchange volumes there, think that's where the action is happening because of New York and London, those being two big financial hubs. But for crypto, a lot of this historically has actually been playing out in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in Tokyo, and different places in East Asia. That's where a lot of the trading happens. And so for Huobi to be going under or not going under, excuse me, for Huobi to be downsizing or not being as big of a player, that does matter for the market over there. That does matter for people who have less options. 
also interesting in the story that Justin Sun is deciding to move the headquarters out of China. He's moving it to Singapore. He's moving people. He's relocating the entire team along with laying off a lot of team members. And oh, that's more crypto leaving China, which I think a lot of people have sort of written off and said all of crypto has left China at this point, but that's not really the case. There are some businesses still operating there if you can get the licenses. So that this is another step there, right? And Justin Soon does not necessarily have the greatest track record with the Chinese communist government. So it makes sense for him to want to move his business out of their jurisdiction into something else where he can control it a little bit more. But let's move on to the next story. We're going to talk about some new numbers from the Fed and new numbers on how many people are employed in the United States. According to new job numbers this morning, we actually dropped in the unemployment rate to about 3.5%, adding about 223,000 new jobs to the U.S. economy. Now, why does this matter? Well, more or less, the U.S. economy has been experiencing a lot of inflation, about 8% plus at its peak. And the Fed has been attacking that, uh, increasingly turning to interest rates increases in order to fight inflation. The terminal federal fund rate is looking towards about 5% according to new numbers. And this is bad for people who want to buy a house. Uh, but the Fed thinks that this is good for the total economy because they're going to get inflation under control. Of course, what they're looking at here is the number of people who are employed. This is a pretty big measure to understand how strong the economy is. And the Fed actually wants unemployment to go up. So we're kind of seeing something that is against the metric they are looking for. The angle here obviously is like crypto has had a lot of layoffs recently. We talked about that yesterday, about 27,000 since April. Zach, I'm going to throw this one over to you. How do you square these two things? Yeah, the thing I'm seeing in here is just the relative slowing of growth in the U.S. economy. I think that adds to sort of the general anxiety that, you know, that recession may be, may be looming, right? So as it speaks to the overall health of the economy, the fact that growth seems to be slowing, especially in the job sector, that's the thing that stands out to me. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, want, like, I really wonder how Bitcoin is going to respond in these next coming months, right? If it, it will be anything sort of divorced from the macro reality uh, of, the, of the economy, whether it will be sort of this, you know, maybe a flight to safety or, or an inflation hedge, a lot of these narratives that had existed at some point that don't look really that good in hindsight, whether or not sort of Bitcoin will spring to life and be a vehicle for savvy investors to escape sort of the present reality of the existing financial system in a way that is meaningfully different than from what like a tech stock would provide them, right? And I think that's still a very much open question for Bitcoin. I mean, to date, especially in the last year or so, it's performed similarly poorly relative to tech stocks, right? It's this high risk thing that isn't really that inflation hedge or isn't really that store of value or that, you know, that safety asset that a lot of Bitcoin believers have really, you know, wanted it to be for a long time. So I think that the thing, that's the thing to be watching is like, will Bitcoin sort of divorce itself from the macro narrative or will it just continue to like ensconce itself even further into how assets more broadly are trading? And that's what we've seen, I think, in the last year or so. Jen, I saw your hand. I'm going to toss it your way. I didn't put my hand up. I'm no oh. economist. So I'm just going <laughs> to, Will, you're going to have to explain this to me. And if you don't know how, no problem. I can just go and research. So the report said that the jobs are mainly in leisure, hospitality, healthcare, construction, and social assistance. Why does that matter? Like, why should we be looking at what sectors the, the jobs are in? Yeah, let me take another crack at this because I think I didn't quite nail it on the first time we were going around on this topic. The Fed has been trying to fight inflation, right? So we've had 8% plus inflation. That's historically high. That's not great for consumers. That's not great for anyone who's trying to buy anything. So all of us. 
So trying to lower that by increasing interest rates, hoping that you know if we increase interest rates, increase savings, people stop spending as much, and then the cost of goods will go down eventually. And they're trying to see if that will work. But so far, inflation has been persistently high and interest rates keep creaking up a little bit more. The thing that they're looking for here to see if it's all working is if jobs go down, if there's more unemployment. If there's more unemployment, then that means that they're doing a job because you know, everything is kind of working backwards. And they want a soft landing here is another important part. They don't want to create too much unemployment and they don't want too high of interest rates, but they do want inflation down. And so they're looking at some of these numbers, they're looking at the tea leaves, as they say, and saying, are we getting this correct? And right now, this jobs report might incline that they are getting correct, that they are doing a nice soft landing because unemployment's not going up too much, actually went down this last month. Inflation is coming down a little bit at a time. And while the federal fund rate is increasing slowly, so they might be doing a good job. In terms of your question, Jen, and like where jobs are being added, it sort of depends on like what economists have their own perspective on, right? So uh, I won't think about that too much, or I won't offer an opinion too much on this topic because I don't think economists are looking at it too specifically. But if you think of like different job sectors, so maybe like Amazon hiring a lot of jobs just for the Christmas months, that probably doesn't matter a lot to the Fed because they know that those jobs are transitory. But if you're adding more jobs in hospitality, like you said, or jobs in tech, that might show you that like the economy is a little bit stronger than you think. Uh, there's my armchair economist moment for you guys. Move over to Zach as we I move over to it. break. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Hash. The SEC is investigating FTX investors' due diligence, according to a report by Reuters. So we've been asking a lot on this show, did these investors do their due diligence? Now the SEC is asking the same question. The regulator is going to be looking into if and how they did their homework before investing in the crypto exchange and what diligence policies and procedures were in place. The inquiries don't indicate wrongdoing, but according to Reuters reporting, the firms may face regulatory scrutiny even if they are considered victims. At issue would be whether the firms met their fiduciary duties to their own investors. Zach, I'm going to kick this off to you. Did you expect the SEC to now look in to all of these VCs who were investing in FTX? Yeah, I, you know, I did. You know, they want to know, like, did they know? What did they know? When did they know? Are they all morons? The biggest list of VCs in the world, the Tiger Globals, the Sequoias, the Ribbits, the Blackrocks, the Lightspeeds. These are no slouches when it comes to venture capital investing. And I think the SEC really want to, wants to get a look under the hood to see what they knew, what they didn't know, if they're complicit in it in any way. It makes a ton of sense. I mean, I think that there were people speculating you know, back in November when the bankruptcy filing first hit, that these people would be under the spotlight. And sure enough, at least according to this report, the SEC seems to be taking a peek to see what these folks knew. 
and when. Yeah, this is potentially a really big black eye, I think, for the venture capital sector. I mean, obviously, you could say, hey, this was obscured. This was not, you know, something that was public to us or made public to us. These are secret backdoors. These are relationships with Alameda that are shady and were not disclosed. Hey, like we're just, you know, like we got played too, guys. But I think it is interesting that the SEC wants to do its own due diligence, looking into whether or not these VCs did the same before they kicked Sam Bankman-Fried a lot of money. We were talking about big, 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 big funding rounds, 420690000 Remember that one? There was all sorts of money that was being funneled into this trading empire such that it was valued at something like $32 billion. Uh, so yeah, they should, get, they should get a knock on the door from the SEC. And I'm curious to see if any of this ever materializes in a public forum or if this is just simply going to be reported through sources from here out. I don't know. That's, that's my thought on this one. Will, what do you think? Yeah, let's keep riffing on, on the VC culture here. I think it's interesting. A lot of times over the last few years, VCs were sort of looked at as like these the bright minds on the field that we should all follow and pay attention to. And then, of course, they got rugged along with everybody else in the case of FTX, right? In fact, they got rugged harder in some instances than anybody else because they really bet on FTX and Alameda to be the golden exchange of this cycle. Every cycle, there's some sort of exchange that is uh, the exchange everyone wants to trade on top of. FTX was definitely for this round. Unfortunately, it turned out to be a corrupt fraud ring. And so for a lot of these VCs who put a lot of money in Sam Bankman-Fried and his cronies' pockets, well, that doesn't look very good for them. We're going to see what the SEC uncovers. My question for our legal expert here on the panel is, of oh, course, God. why does the SEC have jurisdiction over this? And I would wonder as well, why didn't the SEC do things earlier? Of course, like if Wendy was here today, she'd be harping on that as well. Why didn't the SEC move to look into the due process or the, the disclosure periods for these things beforehand? And I have to ask that question as well, because it's a little curious that they care afterwards. Uh, and I wonder what the whole process is whenever this is going on with the SEC. But Jen, I'll throw it over you for any more questions or thoughts. Yeah, no, I had the exact same question is why does the SEC have jurisdiction over this and, and why now? And I don't have an answer for you, Will. I think that like, you know, the SEC would have never looked into it if this didn't happen. But what's happened with FTX has really shone a light on holding all stakeholders in this industry accountable and being more transparent. I think just because we don't have clear regulations about some things, it doesn't mean that policies and procedures around things that have existed for a really, really long time go out the window. And so it will be interesting. I hope that this information is made public to see what policies and procedures were in place at a lot of these large VC firms and to see what policies and procedures maybe weren't followed because the VCs maybe had FOMO and were just, you know, aping into deals because their VC friends were getting on board and they were going to basketball games with Sam Bankman-Fried. So I really hope that that information is made public. And if it ends up holding more people in the industry accountable, I think it's a good thing. Zach? Yeah, I just want to mention here, this was not something that was necessarily news to those in the industry, right? So right before the FTX collapse, Amy Wu, who was of FTX Ventures, was speaking at Solana Breakpoint. And there was like a, like a block headline saying like, you know, VCs didn't do their due, due diligence during the bull run. A little bit ironic that ultimately she was swept up in this thing that really put a mark on, uh, on that endeavor. But this is like big money at stake. And obviously, people within the industry were seeing VC firms not really kick the tires enough. You know, Sequoia wrote down a $210 million investment in FTX when FTX went bankrupt. You know, Tiger Global apparently enlisted Bain Capital to do its due diligence Entire Global pays Bain something like $100 million a year to research these companies. 
Tiger ultimately ended up putting up putting in $38 million into FTX. So these are big dollars at stake. And if you're an LP in some of these funds, I can imagine you'd be calling your local regulator and saying, what the hell happened? Like, hey, I'm a limited partner in a fund that just wrote down a $210 million investment in a fraudulent crypto exchange. Can y'all get to the bottom of that? And I would, be, I, would, I would guess that that is what is animating some of this desire on the SEC's part to take a look. But who knows? It's just funny. It's just like a, another funny sort of footnote in this whole saga that some of the biggest and best venture capital firms in the world ultimately lost huge on some of these investments. Will? Yeah, just riffing on your point there, I, I think we're going to see a change in crypto culture about how we treat VCs. I think beforehand, there's a lot of just like presence and awe when you're talking with the VC or saw a headline from them. And now we might have a little bit of a different opinion, especially if they were involved with FTX or if they decided to pass on FTX because they didn't like it. Just riffing on the subject even more so, just talking about the competitors to FTX and Alameda specifically. If you look at some of the stuff that's come out since then, like a lot of Alameda researches competitors, market makers in the spaces that build liquidity on top of exchanges. They've had some choice words about FTX and Alameda saying that they actually didn't have good tooling, that these were junior developers who really didn't know what they were doing. We've seen stuff from Max Bonet at B2C2. You can look at his Twitter account, see some of the things that he's said about Alameda. Also seen Wintermute come out after all this and talk about how much uh, Alameda wasn't really quite there. Uh, Wintermute, of course, was a huge competitor to Alameda Research. So it's interesting to put these comments about the VCs who are putting money into Alameda Research and into FTX and to look at their competitors who are now riding high and doing okay and see their comments. Last thing on this I want to mention is just going back to the SEC thing. It's funny how the SEC is going to get the criticism, just like the rest of the industry, just like journalists have gotten the criticism for not covering FTX as harshly as they should have or as critically as they should have, just like VCs for dropping FTX money for no reason. And just like for average retail users who got duped by Sam Bankman-Fried and his ring, I think the SEC also got duped, but it's kind of odd because they're at the end of this, right? Like they're the backstop for everything. So I don't know if there's going to be as much public sentiment against them or frustration with the SEC because they are the ones who's ultimately going to have to clean up the mess. So that's just a final aside on the subject. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. I just want to reiterate, I can't wait to see the reasoning that some of these VCs provide in this SEC investigation as to maybe why some policies and procedures weren't followed. Because we look at what's come out from the bankruptcy court, it's like no financial record keeping, no governance, these very rudimentary things that would be in any data room if you are going to a VC for funding. And so it's going to be interesting to hear from the VCs why they didn't know that these things didn't exist. And if they did know, why they didn't care. VCs, they're just like us. Sometimes you just can't resist the FOMO. <laughs> Everybody's doing it. I got to get in on this. $210 million, nah. $38 million. Done. <laughs> FOMO is really all. The bull market was crazy. You guys remember that? Whew, that was a crazy yeah, time. that was a wild time. Mm -hmm. That was a nuts little run there. All right, anyway, that's it for the show today. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 